Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. What a, no, what an atmosphere, though, in the, in the house this morning. As soon as I walked in, you know, you feel it right away. There was, there was a tangible, palpable feeling of the anointing of God in this room this morning. And I think same thing as we walked in on Wednesday. And I think a lot of that's just a continuing building. Right in the spirit as we continue to press in as a people. It's not one, it's not two, it's not three. It's all of us collectively together. How good it is for the brethren to dwell in unity. When we're united and we come together, watch out, because the enemy can't stop us. Well, I have a message here this morning. This is what God has put on my heart all week. I could have started preaching this on Wednesday night. I had to set it at the prayer meeting. I kind of held back. Uh, I know where I'm going. I'm not doing a series until post-Easter. So this is kind of a standalone. I guess maybe by the end, Bob, what you shared, Bob, what you shared before, by the end, I hope it richly blesses your life. Amazing how we're together and and in tune, right, with each other sometimes when we don't even know it, how the Spirit's talking to us. So at the end, I think you'll appreciate where I take this message. I'm going to teach for a little while before I preach. I want to talk about a story. If you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. That's where I will eventually be. You don't want to miss, and let me just say this too. I've known what I was going to do on Palm Sunday. Every year I spend a little bit of extra time during the, well before Palm Sunday. It's my favorite Sunday to preach of the year. Some of my favorite messages, just personally, that I've gotten to preach have been on Palm Sunday. I love it. I love the atmosphere. Of course, we're an Easter people, but there's just something about Palm Sunday. There's just something about the sacrifice, right? There's just something about the blood. So I hope you come here. And then I'm going to chat. Listen, I'm going to have the most challenging message I've ever had before on Easter Sunday. Don't come in here on Easter Sunday and expect that you're going to hear a message about flowers and make you walk out and just feel good about yourselves. That's not where I'm taking Easter Sunday this year. All right. So let that be uh, something that you forget and don't remember. Um, there is uh, psychologists talk about something called hindsight bias. How many of you have heard of that before? Hindsight bias or creeping determinism. That would be another way that psychologists would put it. Uh, or another way I I heard it said was, uh, the, I knew it all along phenomenon. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Where something happens and then people say, I knew the whole time it was going to happen. A parent says, I knew it was going to happen with that, with that kid. We knew all along. We knew maybe in, you know, sports teams, right? You hear it a lot, like in, in in that area. I mean, I I think this past week, there was one of the biggest upsets in, in sports history. The girls basketball team at Connecticut had a hundred and something game winning streak. I was not happy. My buddy is not here. Rob is not here. My buddy Rob sent me a text yesterday morning at like six something in the morning to let me know that I didn't need to know about it at six in the morning, but he wanted to let me know. Uh, but it was a huge upset. And you hear people talk about it. I, there was just something special about this team. We kind of knew it was going to happen. You didn't know it was going to happen. They had a hundred and something game winning streak. You didn't know they were, Connecticut was going to lose. And nowhere is this bigger, though, hindsight bias than when we read stories of the Bible. Right? We assume the outcomes of the story because we've read them hundreds of times. And even if you haven't read this story, you don't know the story. I would say if any of you, you've been Christians for a long period of time, we suffer from this 
been there, done that, and the shock and awe of the story is lost on us because we know what already happened. Well, try to put that aside and walk into a story as if you've never heard the story before. Can we do that this morning? Can we do that this morning? All right, I'm going to make sure you're with me. You have to participate, and I've told you this before. When we're up here preaching, whether it's Pastor Linda or myself or anybody else, you pull stuff out of us. You make us better. When you're attentive and you want more and you're pulling on us, that's when the Spirit comes in stronger and stronger and you pull stuff out of us. I ask that you pull stuff out this morning. So to give you, I have to give you a little background, though, about this story. I told you to turn to 1 Kings 18, but that's not where I'm going to start. And you see the title of the message is poured out. You know what? Say to your neighbor this morning, a a, a Pastor Joe-ism, you're going to say to your neighbor this morning, pour it out. Just lean over to your neighbor and say, pour it out. Pour it out. We're going to pour it out this morning. We're going to pour it out. And hopefully by the end of the message, this is one of those messages, give me a few minutes to teach. Give me a few minutes to teach through a story, a particular part of a story. I could have went in a million different directions. I could have picked different pieces from this chapter. But you just follow along and by the end you'll understand what the title of the message means. Well, to understand where we're going to be, first of all, you have to understand the background of 1 Kings 18. And there has been... In the Old Testament, you have apostasy. You have the children of God are falling away time and time again. How many of you know that? When you read through the Old Testament, you see the children of God time and time again where they're turning their back on God. Idol worship has infiltrated the camp, right? And God has to do something. Well, there is a story here and there is a a king in Israel. His name is Ahab. How many of you have heard the name before Ahab? A famous name. If you haven't, you're going to know about him by the time you leave. All right. And he married badly. Okay. How badly? He married a Phoenician princess by the name of Jezebel. Oh, okay. Now, why did he marry her? You may know the names, but you probably never realized, or you probably never learned. Why did he even marry this woman? Why didn't he just pick somebody within his kingdom? Well, in one respect, and you may go, wow, I can't, I've never heard anybody say anything positive about, about Ahab in a sermon. I will say this, when you look at a map here, at the top, I'm just going to this side, but you see Phoenicia up there, and it's not really, point, but you can see it on the map. You see Phoenicia, you see they had a sea harbor there. And economically, this was a brilliant move by Ahab, because they could import and export with the people from Phoenicia. You with me? So by importing and exporting, it made sense for them to unite together. And as they united together, he said, this is going to be great. So this will help us immensely economically speaking. But what what was a good economic move is a bad soul move. And can I say it here today? If you're somebody in this house that is, maybe you're not married yet, I would say one of the biggest decisions that'll have ripples and implications and repercussions for your life, my life, everyone's lives is who we choose to do life with if we choose to get married. And here is somebody that does not choose wisely. And you also have to see why I put a map up here for you, because you, when we get into the story, I love to set the context. You can't under, I don't understand when preachers get up and they don't give you a context for the story that you're about to hear. The, the children of God, they, they're divided. You have two camps here. You have two nations. You have the nation of Israel, which is up top. You can see that, what is that? Pink or purple? I can't even really make it. It's, right, we'll say it's pink, okay? It's pink, all right? And then you have the kingdom of Judah on the bottom. 
So the 12 tribes of Israel are broken up. 10 up top in Israel and 2 on the bottom. Ever since you go back all the way to Jacob, there has been a contentious relationship between these tribes. A clawing, a trying to get ahead, not wanting to get along. You have to see that as we break into the story here. So you see that here is this woman, Jezebel. And Jezebel wants to do some importing and exporting of her own. She wants to import the god Baal into the life of the Israelites. And Baal is known as the storm god, right? Baal was this, your stomach would turn if I told you all the Baal worship that would take place in Phoenicia. And I'm talking the blood sacrifices. I'll just leave it at that because it's, re- it's really ugly. But she is importing this. And what is she, is she trying to export out? She's trying to export out any worship of their God, Jehovah. Doesn't want anything to do with Jehovah. And here are a people in Israel that are presented with two choices. Do we worship this God of Baal that Jezebel has brought in? The king Ahab has married her. Or do we stick to the God of Jehovah, the God that we have been raised with? We have been steeped in this tradition. Do we go this route? And the problem was, at some point, the two of these are mingling together. And God is not happy about that. And what does God have to do? God raises up a prophet. And friends, let me tell you here today, no matter how bad it looks out there, don't forget he's still on the throne and he still sees and he has not forgotten us. He still has a plan that he is going to execute. It may look like the enemy is winning. It may look like he's winning the battle. Oh, but he is not going to win at the end. He may win a battle here and there, but he is not going to win the war. Are you with me? He may win a battle in your home. He may have won something. He may have taken some ground. You may have lost some ground somewhere. But I would say he is not going to win the war. He is not going to win overall in your house. He is not going to win in your finances. He is not going to have his way with our bodies. He's not going to have his way with our minds. How many of you are with me? So he raises up a prophet by the name of Elijah. And Elijah bursts on the scene in 1 Kings 17. So I'm still giving you background. Can I show you what this guy looks like? The text tells us in 2 Kings what he looks like. And I, I had to do this. I'd be remiss if I didn't. Look what it says about him. So they answered him. This is what he looks like. All right. This is what the dude looks like. A hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist. This is Elijah the Tishbite. Woo! Okay, so he's a hairy man with a belt. The same description could be said of Chewbacca. I was thinking about it all week, and I'm like, it's no different. That guy from Star Wars, right? The guy that just makes noises. I don't even know what he is. Is he a dog? Is he some kind of other creature? But but whatever that is, I don't care. It's a Wookiee. All right, he's a Wookiee, you Star Wars nuts. I'm a Lord of the Rings guy. Talk to me about, you want to talk Lord, let's go. Somebody ask me a question about Lord of the Rings. No, 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 don't. That would look so bad. That would look so bad. My kids at school sometimes like, why don't you go on like, uh, why don't you go on Jeopardy? I'm like, the last show I'd ever want to go on is Jeopardy. Because I'd be in a history category and they'd ask me some question. I wouldn't know the answer and I'd never live it down for the rest of my life. Or they'd have some Bible question and I wouldn't know it. That's like a big fear, Right. So here is this guy who bursts on the scene. He has a leather belt, right? And he burst into Ahab's, th- right, right before his throne. 
All right, in 17, again, still giving you some background. Look what the text says. And Elijah the Tishbite. Now remember what he looks like again. So you're Ahab and you're like, who is this crazy man that is before me? Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be mountain dew nor rain these years except at my word. A lot of you missed it. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. And it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. Okay, so they're probably laughing at this guy at this point, right? So he comes before the king, and he gives this crazy kind of message. And secondly, so I gave you what he looks like. Now, he's next to a brook, and he's going to be fed by ravens. Yeah, his life is kind of weird. His life isn't that normal, right? I don't know many people that get fed by ravens. So there he is. He's getting fed by ravens, and he's kind of like half weatherman because he's going to tell them as long until i say there will be no rain in the land he's like half terrorist like bin laden and then he's half meteorologist like al roker try to put those two characters together and that's what elijah is like you with me that's what he looks like because he's then going to go on the he's going to leave and go on the run and there's going to be a manhunt you know when they have those shows those the fbi's most wanted This is the most wanted man in all of Israel, Phoenicia. They want to find this guy because what he says comes to pass. And there is going to be a a great drought in the land. So no rain and no dew. And what do we know about rain in the Bible? Rain is always symbolic of God's favor. How many of you are watching whatever your political affiliation is? I don't care if you're on the right, you're the left, who you supported, who you liked in the last election. Do you remember when Franklin Graham got up there and he prayed? And before he prayed, he said it was raining out. And he brought that to our attention. And he said, rain is always a sign of God's favor. You remember that? Look what it says in Deuteronomy. Oh, I've given you a picture of what he looked like with the ravens too. I forgot, right? You, you, none of you like really got like, this is a weird dude. Look, this is the guy's life. He's hanging out of the brook, drinking out of the brook, and animals are bringing him flesh. This is strange. Okay, so here is what it says in Deuteronomy. And it shall come to be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, then I will give you the rain from your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. Saints, God wants to pour out the latter rain for us now. The latter rain is coming. A rain is coming like the earth has never seen before. Did you hear me? You may look at Pentecost when the 120 are waiting there in the upper room and the spirit of God fell and lives were changed. Before that, even when Jesus is walking during his earthly ministry of almost three years and the blind can see and the lame can walk and the deaf can hear. Well, the world has not seen anything yet like the last power and outpouring of God's spirit on this planet on all flesh. It'll happen. Not on some, on all. So the latter rain. And then we finally get to, you finally get to 1 Kings 18. Are you with me now? Now that you know the background of the story, right? So here it is. It's showdown time. There has been no rain. This is a you know, movie I was thinking of. You remember Lion King? When Mufasa, Mufasa takes over, right? Oh, no, not Mufasa. Scar, the bad guy. Scar. I should get the story right, right? So Scar takes over. Mufasa is dead. And what does he do? He wrecks everything. 
and you just see rotten carcasses everywhere in the movie, I kind of have that picture for when when Elijah is going to go before King Ahab in chapter 18, that everything stinks of death. Death is in the air. It's all over the place. You can't get away from it. And so he comes into his throne room again. Look what it says. It says, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. So three years. Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. So it's showdown time. I now want you to skip down. Go to verses 20 and 21 because here's what the showdown's going to be. And I'm skipping some of this and I'm telling you some of the story because it's easier. There's only so much I can put up there, the verses, to not totally lose you. So he says this here, and then there is going to be a battle, a showdown that takes place between Elijah, the prophet of God, and the prophets of Baal and Asherah. Remember, Jezebel has imported all of these prophets. She's imported Baal worship, pagan worship, into the lives of the Israelites. So go down to verse 20 and look what it says here. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, because Elijah says to him, listen, this is what I want you to do. We're going to go to Mount Carmel. And you probably, how many of you have heard of Mount Carmel before? When we went to Israel, we passed by it. And I'll remember, I'll never, remember being in the bus? And the bus driver and our tour guide, they said, over there is Mount Carmel, which is not very, it's not a big mountain. You know, you may think of, oh my gosh, this huge mountain. No, no, not very big. But this is where, listen, this is where they believed Baal lived. So all, so if you're Jezebel, you're Ahab, anybody, even the Israelites, they would have known this. We're gonna, they're gonna have a showdown. Elijah's gonna have a showdown with all these prophets of Baal and Asherah, and they're, it's gonna take place at where Baal resides. So what is Elisha saying? Elisha is saying, I'm gonna, t- I'm going to your home turf. I'm going to your home field. I don't want home field advantage. I'm gonna go where you live. I'm gonna go where you sleep. I'm gonna go where you think your power is, and I'm gonna take that on. And we're gonna see what happens. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel, gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. Now see this. It says all the children of Israel. So here they are and they have vacillated back and forth and they, they've, they've, the mingling together again. Some, some of worship of Jehovah and then you have worship of Baal and it's kind of coalescing together here. Here are the Israelites. They're all going to witness this. Something that's easy to miss too in the text. They're all there and the prophets are together on Mount Carmel and Elisha came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? In Hebrew, this is a bird that jumps from branch to branch. That's what this literally means in Hebrew. A bird that is jumping from one branch to the other. He's saying to them, how long are you going to live like this? Either Baal is God or Jehovah is God, but stop jumping back and forth between the two. You have to pick one side or pick the other. Enough of living in between. Enough of being lukewarm. Did you hear that word? It says it in Revelation. I think that would be a word for us today, not just here, but everywhere. Western Christianity. And Lord, I ask that there would even be a fire that would invade us and that the the, the temperature of the water would be turned up. And if you're somebody here and you say, man, I'm feeling kind of lukewarm. I ask right now by the power of God's spirit that the the temperature would be turned up in your life. Do you know, let let me just, we're, we're meant to be difference makers. Dr. Martin Luther King said one time, he said, we are not to be thermometers. 
that when you go, where we go out into the world and we're affected by the temperature of the world, we are to be thermostats. And when we go out into the world, we're supposed to affect change. We're supposed to change the temperature of the climate of the world in which we live in. Friends, you are meant to be a difference maker in this world. Don't let the devil tell you that you're not. At your place of work, you're meant to be a difference maker. You're meant to be a difference maker if you're home with your kids. Raise up your children in the way that you should go. You're meant to be a difference maker when you get down and pray almighty prayers to almighty God about what you want to have done for this church and in the life of this country and in this world. Prayer, it moves mountains. And I said it in the last series. Listen, the transcript of our prayers, the transcript, when you transcribe them, that becomes the script of our lives. I sat in, a, I sat in the prayer chapel last night somewhere. You know, you know the Rocky movie? I'm, I'm just, I'll do the best I can to follow my notes, but I just want to preach a little bit. You know in the Rocky movie, when, um, when Rocky loses, Right? When does he lose? In Rocky 3. There's like 10 Rockies, right? In my head, I'm trying to like go through them. The one where he loses and he has to go back to basics. And he goes and Apollo takes him to the gym in LA. And he's like, he's got all this money. And he kind of walks in and he's like, this is where I'm going to train. You remember he lost that eye of the tiger? Well, you know what? God has taken just, I'm giving you a little personal snapshot. God has taken me back to my foundation. He's taken me back. And there I was last night and I'm just journaling and I'm praying for an outpouring of his spirit. I'm praying that lives really would be changed. I'm not just, I'm not praying for good sermons. I'm done praying for good sermons. I'm never praying for good sermons anymore. I'm only praying that power would be released into the atmosphere and I would just be a vessel for that. Friends, all I'm doing is burning myself. I'm getting into the word and I'm burning myself. Into, I'm burning myself and hopefully the fire comes out. Like John Wesley said, all I do is put myself on fire. So when people see me preach, they would see me burn and they would be influenced. That's all I care about. What else is there to care about? Pour ourselves out. Let's pour ourselves out. Where was I in the story? Pick a team. All right. First Kings, go to 22 and 24. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls. Let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. Don't you love that? Your gods. He doesn't say my God. He says, I'm going to call on the name of the Lord, not a Lord, the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Like, it's, that's okay. All right, let's go do this. And I was thinking about this too. How appropriate for this kind of showdown. So you have men, right? The men are part of this showdown. And where is this going to be settled? On the grill. <laughs> right? I was thinking, I'm like, it's, it's kind of funny, right? You think about it? Like, this is what, now, where is Mike Dixon? Mike, I didn't warn you. Where's my man? Is he here today? Oh, you got to tell him I made a reference to him. My boy, my boy, Mike, he can grill. Every Sunday, if you're on Facebook, you go look on Facebook later on today. The dude's grill is packed. Air can't even come out of the grill. The charcoals, there's no air coming up. That dude has the grill completely covered. He's got chicken wings. I'm getting you hungry now. He's got chicken wings on there. What else does he throw on there? Just regular chicken. He's sausage. That guy throws that. You don't want to go into a competition against Mike Dixon on the grill, right? You want to go against me on the grill because I can barely light the thing, right? I'm the guy you want to go up against. 
Megan's always like, you sure you know how to do that? You sure you're going to be all right? You want me to come out there and help you go inside, please? I can do this. This is my place. I'm a man. I'm supposed to know how to light this grill and this grill is going to light up. Okay. None of that was really, I was like, ah, I'm going to mention Mike, you tell him. Then at 25, moving out of 25 to 28. Now, Elisha said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bow for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many. Call the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Notice the repetition. Always important when you see repetition. So they took the bull, which was given them. They prepared it. Called on the name of Baal from morning, even till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar, which they had made. How funny would it be to, just to watch that, right? They're starting in the morning till noon, right? It gets better. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, cry aloud for he is a God. Either he is meditating or he is busy or he is on a journey or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. I love what one scholar says. He says, you could translate this, that Elisha is saying to them, maybe he is in the celestial bathroom. Maybe he's going to the bathroom. Remember, hairy dude, right? Has a belt and he's kind of sitting there. He's mocking them. He's mocking them standing there. He's having a good time with this. Remember, you have to use your imagination when you read the Bible. You probably have a picture of this stoic guy that just kind of walks in and kind of talks to them. He's laughing at this point. Look at these guys. They're calling after some inanimate God, a God that doesn't even exist. I know who my God is. I talked to him this morning and my God is real. And God is going to pour out a rain on the Israelites that they have never seen before. Just like God is going to pour out rain on us because we worship a God that hears us. We worship a God that can still, that we can talk to anytime we want. Middle of the night, six o'clock in the morning. You could be anywhere you want. You can still talk to God. Aren't you glad for that? Where was I? And then it says in 28, so they cried aloud and cut themselves. Okay. As was their custom. Okay. With knives and lances. Ah. Until the blood gushed out on them. Look at the scene. Blood everywhere. This is like a Stephen King, like horror story, right? There's blood and guts all over the place. And he's laughing and he can't believe this is what the people doing. And they keep doing it. These prophets keep doing it. Aren't you glad we worship a God that doesn't demand our blood too? Aren't we glad in the Lenten season as we move towards Easter? I don't know about you, but I'm glad that we worship a God that does not demand our blood because it was all paid on Calvary 2,000 years ago. Once and for all, the atonement, once and for all, it was all taken care of. We don't have to do this. But here are these people and they're completely lost. And then you go down. We're almost getting to the end and then I'll, I'm going to preach a little. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. What did I tell you in the beginning of the sermon? What did I tell you? Do you remember the tribes are divided? What is Elijah trying to say? Elijah is trying to tell them, you have been divided for so long. We don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But the altar was broken down. Somebody, probably one of the prophets of Baal, destroyed this. And here he is. I'm not using your altar. I'm going to build my altar. I'm going to build the altar that is right here. And I'm going to put it back together again. And there are going to be 12 stones. Don't you think there was silence that reverberated through the camp there? What is he doing? We know what he's doing. There are 12 tribes, but only 10 of us here. All the other two 
two tribes, they're their own country. They're their own nation. And Elijah says, in order for revival to come, you have to be united together. All 12 tribes, not one, not two, not six, not 10, but all 12. Friends, we want revival to fall on us here. We have to be together. It's the only way for it to happen. The only way for it to happen. And Satan wants to divide us. He wants to divide marriages. He wants to keep us divided. He doesn't want us taking the table together. What a battle it is. I know for Megan and I, what a battle it is. Because there are so many things that pop up. So many distractions. And he tries to just keep us going. Keep us busy. Stay busy. Stay busy. He wants to keep us divided. He wants division in the church. And you know what I'm sick of? Can I just talk to you as one of your pastors? I'm sick of the offenses. I'm sick of offenses. I'm sick of hearing silly, trivial things while people are mad at somebody else. How about going to talk to that other person? Wherever you go, those problems are going to follow you. It's not just a city on a hill community church thing. If it's not here, pick a church and settle down. The problem, too, is we have become a society or Christianity has become something. In the words of Sky Jathani, a guy that wrote a book, a wonderful book, he says the church has become like a cruise ship. And on the cruise ship, you know, you ever been on a cruise before? And you go on a cruise and everyone's, woo, you're excited, right? You're dancing and there's food everywhere. I'm in heaven, right? Even me, gluten-free food. And you could just eat from morning until night and you get on your phone. I want a, you know, I want a cheeseburger and I want French fries and I want this now and this isn't done right and I want this done. That's the attitude in the church. Friends, oh, you don't want to hear, that's the truth. The attitude is we come into churches and we go, what programs do you have for me? What do you have for me? I don't want, I want to sit in my seat. I just want to be comfortable. Yeah, I'm trying to make you uncomfortable by telling you this. You've got to get off the sidelines and into the game. And the problem is some of our uniforms don't have any dirt on them. There's no dirt on them. And I look and see, I'm like, how come there are some people that their uniforms are not dirty? God is asking. God is looking. He's imploring all of us to get out of our seats and get into the game and not act as if it's a cruise ship that is here to just meet your needs. You are here. You are here in this place, not by accident. There are no such things as as accidents. We believe in providence and God has put you here. And if this is your house, if this is where you want to worship, and I would say get involved if you're not involved in anything. There's so much to get involved in. Put your hand to the work. Pastor Linda didn't pay me to say that this morning. And then we go to 33 and 35. Okay. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces. I'm getting to the best part. I'm going somewhere. Cut the wood, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. You see, friends, there was a repeating that was going on. There wasn't just a receiving. There wasn't just a responding. This had to be repeated three times. And then you go, and we're going to get back to this. 36 and 38, and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel could be Jacob. Let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. 
that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned your hearts back, that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it licked up the water that was in the trench. <laughs> we've, we've, We've heard this so many times. And by the way, too, just a little, a little history. Where is it? I have the picture in here somewhere. There it is. Do you know you can actually go to Mount Carmel today and this is a picture? I mean, a, a, an actual statue that is there of Elijah and, and the Jewish people and how they look back on this famous event. And you see, I mean, it's kind of crazy, right? The dude's got his knife in his hand. It's a little scary if you have a kid. Oh, daddy, mommy, what happened here? Oh, well, there was a battle and there was a crazy man that was very hairy and he had a belt on and he killed about 850 prophets. Yeah, he killed them all by himself. That's a good story, right? How sweet dreams tonight when you go to bed. <laughs> and you go there and you see this. Now, let me just go back to that last verse and then I can really. Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elisha said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Can we go back to, though, the part I want to go back to? I want to go back to where I, where I underline. And I don't know if you've ever seen this before, but this is why I'm preaching this message today. Because I had a lot of fun getting into it. Just a, a great story. A story I love. Absolutely. Because I, 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 this is a miracle that takes place. And, I, and as we heard this morning, Megan said something. Hearing from other people, God still performs miracles, right? Nothing is impossible with God. If God is for us, who can be against us, friends? So God still performs miracles. But I want you to see something. Where it says, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then do it a second time. Do it a third time. You ready for this? Ready? Here's the bomb. Here it is. You ready? Every single part of what happened here, the children of God, all the Israelites. Remember I told you in the beginning, all the people of God are gathered here with the prophets and with Elijah. So the question is, where did the water come from? Probably never looked at it that way, right? Where did the water come from? Because unless I'm mistaken, there's a drought. You see, the cisterns and the aquifers and the reservoirs are at a critically low place. There is no water. So what I'm putting before you here today, and I some commentators disagree on this, but I think this is what the text really says. It's the only thing that makes sense. Because when you look at this, what is happening here, this is their personal drinking water. They don't have much. This may be the last amount of water that these people have. If you haven't been to Israel, we've been there. It's pretty hot in the sun. They were sitting there all day. Remember, real human beings, this really happened in human history. So here they are. This is probably their personal drinking water. And here they are, friends. They're holding on to it. Do you think they wanted to give up? When Elisha says, give me your drinking water, and the, 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 where it says water pots, in Hebrew, a better term would probably be barrels. That all of the children of Israel from all the tribes, they're taking their own personal water and they're pouring it into the barrels. Do it once. Do it once. Do it again. Do it a second time. Do it a third time. And if the people of God held on to what they had, they would have missed out on the blessing. Do you understand? If they held on to what they had, that's all they would have had. Let me say that again. If they held on to what they had, it's all they would have had. And they would have missed out on a great rain that was coming on the earth and how God wanted to bless them. I say that because why this story is so amazing is because God sometimes wants to stack the deck against himself. Do you ever notice that? Do you ever notice 
how God loves to do the impossible? Why too? Listen to me. Look at this too. Why the heck? You probably missed this too when you read it. Why the heck are they even pouring the water all over the sacrifice and on the wood? I'm not that smart, but um, I know if I'm trying to build a fire, thank God for Doraflame logs, right? One of the greatest inventions in the history of the world, Doraflame logs for people like me. You send me on a camping trip and you're like, James, you got to light a fire. Great. Let me go get my Doraflame log. I'm not going to sit there and, and try to, it's not going to happen, right? Who wets wood before you're going to put it on fire? Are you with me? Now, what you're probably thinking is, well, man, God wants to ratchet up the level of difficulty. He wants to, yeah, he wants to stack the deck against him. But this is not about Elijah. This is not about the miracle. And the people are going to go, oh, my gosh, look what God did. The wood was wet and it lit on fire. If God wants to send, and this is probably when you, you read what commentators say, it was probably like a meteorite. That literally came down and consumed the sacrifice that was here. Do you think if the wood was dry or the wood was even wetter? We say, man, don't wet the wood. And God says, the wetter, the better. God says, you don't think it should be wet? I say, the wetter, the better, because that's when I'm going to move in. And that's when my power is going to be seen. And I look throughout the Bible. And when God stacks the deck against them, he tells Gideon, he says, uh, I want you to watch the men. You have 10,000 men. I want the 300. I tell the other 9,700 they can go home because of the way they drank the water. But God, 300 men, how are we supposed to go up against thousands? I like to stack the deck against myself. Lazarus, you stay in the tomb, not one day, not two days, not three days. You stay in the tomb for four days because I like to stack the deck against myself. Oh, there's a little guy named David. He's over there. Oh, all the other sons of Jesse. Yeah, he's the eighth one. The other seven, nobody else wants to fight him. None of the other warriors want to fight him. Let him go in there. And everyone's laughing. The Philistines are mocking this little guy that goes into the valley of Elah. Well, guess what? God likes to stack the deck against himself. And the problem sometimes with us is we're not willing to believe sometimes. And we get so intimidated when God tells us to step out in faith and do something. But the miraculous and the impossible can't happen sometimes unless we step out. Unless we're uncomfortable. Unless we say, you know what, God? I'm going to try it. I'm going to pour it out. Friends, I'm here to tell you this morning, on April 2nd, 2017, God is asking us as a church. He's asking you as a people. He is saying, pour out your life. Pour it out. Pour it out. Pour it out. The Apostle Paul put it this way. This is what Paul said. Paul said, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. We're supposed to pour out our lives. Can I be brutally honest with us this morning? You know what many of us are doing? John Piper wrote a book maybe 12 years ago, and it was aimed at young people, but oh man, when I read it, it's for everyone. It was called Waste Your Life. Great book. And in the book, he talks about all these stories of people. We live in a world where people look at me and, you know, I'm in a class. How about this? I share this even on Wednesday night. I'm in a class. I'm, te- I'm teaching my AP U.S. history students, and I'm in the 1950s. And I'm up to, I have to talk about Billy Graham. How cool is it that Billy Graham's part of a curriculum, right? For public school students, they have to learn about that. And I'm talking about church membership in 1959, right? In 1959, it went up to like 70% of the country is going to church. Many of them are Christian, right? Catholic and Protestant. And the kids are kind of like, some of the kids, you can see them kind of like laughing. And then I get into a car and then I start to press. And I'm like, and you know, at this point, I don't even back down anymore. 
I'm just kind of like, I'm getting to that point. I've been teaching over 20 years and I'm never, I don't overstep my bounds, but I'm going to challenge you. So the kids and I'm like, what, what's going on? What do you, what do you think? And they're like, well, in our world today, religion doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter. It's not really important in this stuff. Come on. Really? Are you serious? It's not important. It's not pertinent to my life. This is what we're up against. This is just, I'm just giving you one little picture of a little school on the South Shore of Long Island. But I guarantee you, put me in a classroom anywhere around here. And I'm sure you're going to get the same reaction. But church, I don't go to church. Jesus, you really believe that stuff? You really believe those, the fables and fairy tales? Friends, we're under attack. Christian, you may not think it. Come on, I don't care who's in the White House. Christianity is under attack in American society. And what the, what the world tells us out there is waste your life. And you know what, what, what the world tells us? Waste your life on pleasures, things that are going to make you happy. Waste your life on things that will make you happy. I never forgot it when Pastor Linda told me, and she's told me this story many times, right? She's told you this story many times over the years in preaching, what, 40 years. She told the story of Watchman Nee. And Watchman Nee, right, in the underground church movement in China, was in prison. I mean, amazing man of God. And she's talked about his books. And you were talking yesterday about one of his disciples. Who's, how old is he? A hundred? Guy Stephen Kong. How many of you older saints? Stephen Kong. Guy's still alive. Do they prop him up when they put him? He's 100 years old. How does he speak to people? Dude's 100 years old. But listen, Watchman Nee, he saw one of his professors from college. And the professor, he was telling him what he did with his life. Watchman Nee's telling him what he did with his life. And the professor was like, man, was so disappointed. I had such great plans for you. Because he wasted his life. He poured his life out and said, I will, I will pour out my life. It'll be an offering, a sacrifice to you, God. I will not waste my life sitting in front of a television set. Nobody's ever going to get to the end of their life. God is not going to say to anybody one day, well planned out, thou good and faithful servant. Well thought of, thou good and faithful servant. It's going to be well done. What have we actually done? How have we poured... You're pouring your life out one way or the other. Did you hear what I said? We're pouring our lives out. Don't, don't look at me and say, well, that's for you. You're a pastor and you're supposed to pour your life out as a Christian. Uh, 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 uh. Wrong, 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 wrong. Every single one of us is to pour out our lives and waste our lives on and bring down the kingdom of God. Whatever that looks like, it's different for everybody. Not everyone's supposed to be up here and preach. Not everyone's supposed to be up here and, and lead worship. But you are supposed to find out what that looks like and what that means for pouring your life out as an offering, as a sacrifice. You will never get to the end of your life and say one day, I wish I watched more TV shows. I wish I sat on the couch and watched more TV shows. Man, Netflix has some. Oh, man. I can tell you everything that happened in The Walking Dead. I can tell you everything that happened in House of Cards. And I can tell you a lot of things that happened in, in House of Cards. I'm not saying don't watch TV shows. I'm not saying that. I'm not religious. Don't, don't watch. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is there's a new fervency and a new zeal inside of me as one of your pastors that we are wasting time. I'm not sitting in front of the TV set wasting my time and there's a new desire, a new hunger inside of me to just get into his word and to read more and to meditate more and to commune with him more. I want that experience. I want more of it because I know and I know it's a gift that I'm never going to get before him and say I wasted so much of my time worshiping you. I wasted so much of my time preaching about you. I'm never going to say that. Pour it out. Can I give you now some... I said in the beginning... I said in the beginning that I was going to 
talk about something that Bob had said. And in, as it pertains to, to wasting our lives, there's some great stories, and I just picked two. And, and if you, this is, you haven't been here for a long period of time, my new thing, and this is just who I am, and I was, I was talking to Jack about it last Wednesday after the prayer meeting, and it really helped me, and it's helped me. A lot of you have really encouraged me, and I started this biography thing, right? I've started, I'm on this biography kick, and Ted was up here last week, and thank God for Ted, thank you. You're sharing about women that were very influential in our faith and how important that is for everyone, all races, creeds, right, everything. When you look at that, this is now something that I'm trying to. I said, I'm not going to do, I don't have to do it every sermon. I might get a law out of it, but I want to bring in stories of people that inspire you because they inspire me. I always tell you now, I can't live without being inspired by people that have gone on before us and poured their lives out. It's all I care about. Pour your life out. Pour it out. More, more, more. I don't care what my body says. I don't care how busy I am. I prayed. I prayed for too long. God, use me. And then I'll complain to my wife. I'll complain to my parents that I'm tired. I'm done talking that way. God, use me. I don't want to slide into home and just be, you're safe, you made it, don't, you didn't take any risks, you played it safe, friends, playing it safe isn't safe, we're supposed to take risks, I said it on Wednesday, breaking even is breaking bad, to break even, I just want to break even with my life, you're breaking bad, there's more for us, this Christian thing, can I say, oh man, this Christian, can I have have five, five more minutes? This Christian, and not a lot of you said it because I'm challenging you. That's good. That's, that's expected. You know, this, this Christian thing is not about auditing. I go online. I was, this, again, this is not something I plan on, but I just feel it in my spirit. I love the great courses. And the great courses are, you get the foremost professors and teachers around the country and the best colleges and universities around the land. I may have mentioned this before. And you can listen to their classes. So you kind of get inside, you get an inside view of what they're teaching. And you can watch the video and you can listen to the audio, right? But, but there's no work for me to do. So what I'm really doing is I'm auditing their classes because I'm just listening to them teach about the topic. But when the class is over, I don't have any homework assignments. I'm not really doing anything else. I just sit there and listen and I do what I want with it. I go to work. But Christianity is not something that is meant to be audited. Christianity is something that we're meant to take it serious and say, you know what? There is more for me and I want to be a student. Friends, I would ask us, do you want to be an admirer of Jesus Christ or do you you want to be a follower because there were many admirers. There were many people that sat back and said, Woo, there goes Jesus. There goes Jesus looking to perform in all the miracles. But when it came to like the rich young ruler, give up everything. Can you give it all up? And he's like, man, no, I'm going to walk away. But there were some friends. Can I read you? Where's my phone? I never read off my phone. Is this the first time I ever read? Maybe it's not the first time, but I'm going to do it. And this morning I said, I'm going to read you something. I've shared this before, but I have to. I'm taking maybe 10 minutes. Maybe I'm not five. Yeah, your meal is going to wait. I'm sorry about that. I'm not sorry. In AD, I'm done complaining. I'm done apologizing. In AD 44, King Herod ordered that James the Greater be thrust through with a sword. He was the first of the apostles to be martyred. And so the bloodbath began. Luke was hung by the neck from an olive tree in Greece. Doubting Thomas was pierced with a pine spear, tortured with red-hot plates, and burned alive in India. In A.D. 54, Philip was tortured and crucified because his wife converted to Christianity by listening to him preach. Philip continued to preach while on the cross. Did you hear what I just said? He's on the cross being crucified, and he's continuing to preach to people. Man, may I have that kind of faith and that kind of resilience. 
Matthew was stabbed in the back in Ethiopia. Bartholomew was flogged to death in Armenia. James the Just was thrown off the southeast pinnacle of the temple in Jerusalem after surviving the 100-foot fall. Did you hear that? He survived. He was clubbed to death by a mob. Simon the Zealot was crucified by a governor of Syria in AD 74. Judas Thaddeus was beaten to death with sticks in Mesopotamia. Matthias, who replaced Judas Iscariot, was stoned to death and then beheaded. And Peter was crucified upside down at his own request. Now listen, I'm giving you insight into what's going to happen next week. John the Beloved, I'm going to do something different next week. John the Beloved, I can't wait, is the only disciple to die of natural causes. But did you know why? That's only because he survived his own execution. When a cauldron of boiling oil could not kill him, Emperor Diocletian, sick man, exiled him to the island of Patmos where he lived until his death in AD 95. People who poured out their lives. I'm challenging us. I'm raising the bar on our level of Christianity. I'm sorry, but I'm done. This is not the church for you. If Christianity to you is... Just say a couple of prayers, give assent to those prayers, and man, I, woo, I'm done, and one day I'm going to heaven. Woo, where's the party? It's not what a follower is. You can call yourself a, a, an admirer, and that's great. And if that's where you are, please, I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just saying there's more. Hear my heart. I, I'm saying this because I love you. I'm saying this because this is the truth. And I'm saying this because a lot of the gospel you hear today is just feel good about yourself. It's a feel-good gospel. Just feel good. Don't challenge people. People on TV, I could give you names, right? They don't challenge people. They just smile. <sighs> it's not real Christianity. I need five more minutes. Yeah, yeah, I need five more minutes. Now the stories. How many of you, Bob, you brought it up about missionaries. You want to talk about people? Can I, you want to hear this? You want to hear this, right? Even if you don't pretend you want to hear it, the movie, how many of you know the name Jim Elliott? Jim Elliott, okay? Jim Elliott, who was a missionary in 1956, he along with four other people, what's the name of the movie? The End of the Spear? Maybe some of you saw that movie. Well, what you probably didn't know was, here's a picture. These are the individuals that gave up their lives when they traveled and they were wasting their lives as they were traveling to a remote tribe of natives in, in Ecuador. All of them are killed, and there's one guy, though, his name is Nate Saint. He was the pilot. Not as well known as Jim Elliott, but incredible heart for the Lord. Can I, before he died, can I show you, this is what the man said, before he died. Uh, people who do not know the Lord ask, why in the world do we waste our lives as missionaries? They forget that they too are expending their lives, and when the bubble has burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they have wasted. What do you think it's like for that guy in heaven right now? This guy wasted his life on the gospel in 1956. He laid his life down and said, I'll pour out my life as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice unto you, God. And then the last one, the last one. C.T. Studd. How many of you know this name? C.T. Studd was born in 1860 and died in 1931. He grew up in England. He was the heir, listen to me, he was the heir to an incredible fortune. His dad made a, 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 a lot of money overseas. He was, at his day, in his day, the number one cricket player in all of England. You may say, cricket, who plays cricket? Well, in England, cricket was a big deal. Think of like today, 
If Michael Jordan or Tom Brady, somebody like that, that's, the, that's where you need to place this guy. This guy says, I'm going to become a Christian. He hears, he goes to hear D.L. Moody. How many of you know that name? That's another powerhouse name. He deserves his own kind of sermon, right? And he hears him speak in 1883. And at this point, Stud is 23 years old. He, he's so moved by that. He's already a Christian, but there's something stirring inside of him, something different. He would say, later say, he tasted all the pleasures of the world. Did I tell you he was rich? Did I tell you he was wealthy? Did I tell you he had everything that you could ever want? Everything money could buy, but he knew something was missing. So he'd later say he tasted all the pleasures of the world, but none gave him so much pleasure as bringing his first soul to Jesus. <sighs> Can you see why I get so wrapped up in people's lives? Can you see why God wants us to study people that have gone on before us? One day, Hudson Taylor came. Hudson Taylor transformed China. And he preached about how China needed missionaries. You may not know the name. You're going to hear about him in the future. And he preached... Two years later, C.T. Studd sailed for China along with six other people, and they're called the Cambridge Seven. I just read a book this week about it. It wasn't a big book, but I couldn't put the book down. I'm just reading. I'm literally cooking this week. I don't know if you saw me a couple of times. The book's on the counter. You don't pay attention to me. So I'm literally, so I'm kidding. She always pays attention to me. My wife always listens to me. Thank God for a wife. Hey, listen, you, you don't live with a preacher. To live with a preacher, it's not an easy life. I'm not, I'm not making jokes. It's not an easy life. And I'm obsessed and I'm focused more than I've ever been focused before. And thank God for her. Thank God for my family. Thank God for people that support me. Thank God for you. I thank you for your text messages. It's an honor to preach here. And back to the message. So here you go. You have the Cambridge 7. Stop it. You have the Cambridge 7. I'm too into this, right? They gave everything away and went to China. And here is this guy. Can I go back to his picture? I promise I'm wrapping up. I promise I'm wrapping up. I'm going to the table. And here is this guy, C.T. Studd. His father died, left him an incredible inheritance, which would today would be millions of dollars. He took the inheritance against, now money was, and I don't even, I don't know all the inner workings of this, but I can tell you this, his mom was never happy with the fact that he left. His family protested. You can't go to China. This guy with the other Cambridge six, he had a law degree from Cambridge. I told you he had everything you could possibly want. He took all of his inheritance and he said, here you go. Gave it all. He gave it to George Mueller. Remember George Mueller? I talked about him a few weeks ago. Gave money to George Mueller for orphanages. Gave it to other evangelistic outreaches. He said, I don't want this money. I'm going to pour it out. I'm pouring my life out. I want that money to go into the kingdom of God. Well, I'm telling you what, one day when you die, you're going to meet this guy, C.T. Studd. And you know what? He literally was a stud because he gave up everything that he had for the gospel. He didn't even look at it as a sacrifice. It's not a sacrifice. When we give up our lives, when we pour them out for the kingdom of God, it's not a sacrifice. How am I supposed to... Can I ask you a question? If we get to the point... Thank you. Good timing with the phone call. If we get to a point where we have multiple... How am I supposed to do this multiple times? Okay. It's got to happen, I guess. I'm done. I'm real, I'm real, I promise you at the end because some of you are like... Jesus said, if you want to save your life, right, you can't hold on to it. You've got to give it up. He who tries to save his life, what's going to happen? You're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, for his sake, then you'll find it. That's C.T. Studd. And look what he, this, can I read you? Right before he died, you know some of this. I'm going to read you the whole passage. The whole passage. Here it is. This is what he said. Bring conviction to my heart. 
and from my mind would not depart. Only one life till soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know that. You've probably heard that before. You never heard the whole context, the whole thing. Only one life. Yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. The still small voice gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish aims to leave and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life. Yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, t'was worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. A man that gave it all. And he said this too. Somebody said this in the beginning. I didn't say it. Some wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Music team, come on up here. Come on up here. Come on up here. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. I want to go on the offense. You know what I'm sick of? I'm sick of playing prevent defense. I'm sick of playing prevent defense. God is asking, calling for a full court man pressure. Full court pressure. That we would go on the offense. Stop playing defense. Pour it out. Wherever God is calling for you, you want to, you could just start playing. You are to call it out. Pour it out. Call it out. Pour it out. Pour out our lives like these people did. I just gave you a couple of examples. These are the people God gave me for this week. I don't know. Hopefully they ministered to you. Lord, Lord, I would ask that some of this gets through, Father. Lord, I ask that just. Use my words in spite of myself, Father, in spite of who I am and my feeble attempt to try to hear you and to try to convey your message. Lord, I ask that we would understand that you're calling us to really waste our lives on you, that it's not a sacrifice. Lord, that it's a sweet aroma that goes up to heaven. You're worth it all, Father. Only what's done for you. A life lived for Christ, that's the only thing that's going to last at the end of the day. Everything else is temporal. Everything else is going to burn up. It's going to give up. It's going to rust out. But things that are done for you are going to last forever. Amen. Do you realize that, saints? Do you realize that? All the temporal things that we look to for joy and happiness, that one day, it's, it's fleeting, right? It's so fleeting. But why do we have to keep preaching it? We have to keep preaching the same things over and over and over again because it's a battle. I know I preach long today. But listen, I'm preaching my heart out because I care so much. And we want this church to go to a new level. I don't want, it's not about more people. Do you understand? I'm not asking for more people. I'm asking for God to do something with the people that are here, in our midst here. And I'm asking you, you hold on to something and that's all you're going to have. But when you pour your life out, that's when the blessing comes. So ushers, you come forward and you think about the one, friends. You think about the one here today. As next week is Palm Sunday, you think about the one that poured it out. You think about the one that poured it all out on Calvary's cross, uh, cross on Golgotha, poured it all out, said, I'm not going to hold anything back. I'm going to pour out my life, not my will, Father, your will ultimately be done. And then ultimately, as he's hanging on the cross in the gagging words of a dying crucifixion victim, he says, it is finished. It's all finished. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.